Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And this is the Clinchmas special of the Warehouse Podcast. We haven't recorded in a while, guys. It's been almost two months, I think. Is that right? I don't know yeah. if that's correct, but it feels okay. like it's been that long. You no, know? I think it's correct. It's been a long time. It's been a wild summer. We've not been the most uh, responsible podcast hosts, but we knew we had to get on here today on a special day in which the Orioles have clinched a postseason berth. We don't know the seed yet. We're hoping it's going to be the number one seed. We've still got about two weeks left in the season to sort that out. But first things first, O's are in the playoffs. Jesse, how are you feeling, buddy? Yeah, I mean, the year has been, of course, absolutely incredible. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm feeling great. Um, you don't I mean, sound like it. Well, you sound so very underwhelmed. No, no, no. So, well, let me just say, so please, I thank you for bringing this up. So I wasn't there to, like, enjoy <laughs> the moment. So I didn't get to see it happen live and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, in my mind, it's sort of a technicality. And especially since I didn't get to see it sort of unfold, I didn't get to appreciate sort of the technicality of it. I mean, I've known for weeks that the Orioles were going to be in the playoffs, you know, sure. barring barring a disaster. Um, So, you know, I've sort of accepted the fact that or, uh, you know, it sort of sunk in a long time ago that the Orioles were going to be a playoff team. So, um, yeah. So, uh, but regardless, it's really exciting. The Orioles can start. Of course, it's frustrating because we're in this division race, you know, trying to get the one seed and everything like that. Um, but of course, the Orioles are going to be, you know, either consciously or co- subconsciously, you know, starting to look ahead to the playoffs and switching into playoff mode and stuff like that. So, of course, there's work to be done in the next couple of weeks. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I should have gone to Eli first because we've kind of brought the energy down. We've brought yeah, the energy okay. down from what Seriously. was supposed to be. A it's exciting, everybody. It okay. is exciting, okay. Okay. you know. And it's right. the first time in a long time since like 2016 the Orioles have been right. in the playoffs. So, right. well, so, well, I'm you know I'm really excited for like us to take the field in the playoffs at home and like see the electric crowd and everybody waving the orange okay. towels. You yeah. know, like and hopefully you could have said that. Well. You could have said that the first yeah, time. You didn't redo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eli's, yeah, Eli's turn to talk. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> I, I'm I'm gonna tell a little story and it's gonna end on a super uplifting note. Um. So I, part of my fence is falling down. And so this morning I wow. drove over to my friend's place. I borrowed a saw. I went to Home Depot, grabbed a bunch of stuff, spent too much money. I came back and I spent all day digging old fence posts out of the ground. And these things go like three feet deep with concrete and it's exhausting. It was awful. I came back in and I am in Florida as has been mentioned before. So I find a Reddit stream for it and I start doing my thing, watching, got the Ravens up on the TV, got the Orioles on the laptop. We're working through it. Everything is all good. I see Jorge Lopez give up two home runs and I just give up and I let myself fall asleep. (laughs) And sure enough, my roommate walks out because the Ravens won and he just goes, that's a dub and gives me a high five. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I see that the Ravens won, and I tap back in with the Orioles and see we're in this scrap and extra. 
by this time, the Reddit stream is totally crashed. Um, and I go ahead and I just up on the radio and I just lay down on the couch and listen. And I tune in just in time for Ryan O'Hearn to lay down the sack bunt <laughs> and Adley to move up to third and Cedric to hit this extra, you know, extra innings walk off sack fly. So I'm just like staring up at the ceiling, drinking it in. It's nice and cool in my house. It's 90 effing degrees outside. Um, it's just Gracie. beautiful. And I started clapping. I started firing off tweets. You started seeing the videos of everybody, you know, doing the actual dong bong because it was actually beer going through it this time as opposed to water. Yeah. Uh, you know, you see the champagne showers. They took Heston Kerstad after they ran out of beer. They put him in a cart. And they started dumping condiments on him. There was olive oil. <laughs> there was ketchup. I heard. So, seems uh, unnecessary. Yeah, it seems totally unnecessary. <laughs> but you know, it's just like the mayhem. <clears throat> and it was a day game, so they got a little while longer to recover um, and get back at it tomorrow. Now they got a flight to Houston to recover. It's a night game, so they've got over twenty four hours to uh, right. get things under control. But yeah, well, that was that was a good story. So we learned the Orioles one and we learned you've got good ac unit and new a new fencing so that's right everything's well, good. I, i'll admit that the concrete <laughs> has not dried as as fast as i hoped it would mm. and it just rained um like just before we started recording mm -hmm. so i'm pretty pessimistic that those fence posts are gonna <clears throat> even be set by tomorrow morning we'll see what happens but well, we'll yeah we'll update that on the next pod too that's an important definitely thing. Yeah, I know that's what people came here for. <laughs> yeah. Is, you know, some tips and tricks on how to how to build a fence. So I I mean I could use that. My fence is falling down too, Eli. So I <laughs> I appreciated that. Um But yeah, I mean it, it, it was it, it was, it was electric. Day. It was it electric. Was. Yeah. I uh, had the privilege of recapping the game for Camden chat today. Um which it kind of goes two ways when you're recapping a game for a website like I want the Orioles to win all the time, obviously. But when they come back late in the game or it goes to extras, I have to like rewrite paragraphs like multiple times. Sometimes I'm like, you know what? Just like take the L guys. I need to wrap this up. I got other things to do today, but I was happy to do it today. I was happy to rewrite some things and, and uh, just, you know, excited. I mean, I'm with you, Jesse, that this has been kind of a foregone conclusion for, if not weeks, more than a month. Like it, you know, the Orioles were going to the playoffs. It's just a matter of where they were going to be seated. And after the first two games in this series, I was worried about that because it does start to, you know, you know, you're going to the playoffs. It's kind of a hollow thing once you get to the how good they've played all year. If they were to get to the playoffs and only be a wild card, which is still up in the air, uh, it wouldn't feel as good as a division title would, obviously, especially with the current formatting. But after these last two games, they clinched the playoffs, technically clinch it because the Guardians beat the Rangers. But whatever, we'll take it. And they're back up to two games up in the world in the uh, in the division, and they've got the tiebreaker over the Rays. Feels like we're in control right now, and obviously things can go awry. But man, the today I feel a lot better at the end of today than I did at the start of the day, even given how good the Orioles played yesterday. But yeah, awesome to say well, they're a playoff team. I think you know potentially that is something to think about the fact that we're we have a little bit of a cushion i mean two games is not much of a cushion but it is given the limited amount of time left in the season 
And it's um, basically so, three. It's basically three games with the tiebreaker. Like right. So yeah. if they finish with the same record, the Orioles get the division over the Rays. So right. So uh, yeah, there's that. I mean, what I I guess how I would think about this is. You know, I think that Oreo fans were, you know, when we were in the middle of the four game losing streak, when we lost two out of three to the Cardinals, I feel like Orioles fans were reacting too much, you know, in the negative direction um, in terms of uh, sort of what our outlook was like um, heading into the playoffs and, you know, down the final, final stretch of the season. Um, and I think feel like it's a little bit happening in the other direction where you know people are getting a little too comfortable um so uh yeah i mean that's the only thing i would say is i you know i i still think it's you know basically um obviously you would rather be up two games or up three games you know through technicality um but uh you know i i don't think it's a foregone conclusion that you know we have this thing wrapped up mm-hmm. and uh you know, obviously be excited. I'm not saying don't be excited, but, you know, don't take anything for granted, I guess, because we, we were just feeling the opposite just a few days ago. And uh, yeah. yeah. Well, we learned in the Cardinal yeah. series, you, the Orioles need to add more Towson university players. Richie Palacios has a huge That's series. True. Orioles get Zimmerman up, trade for Palacios, get all the Towson guys you can. That's my, opinion. <laughs> uh, I, I do have, one little note on that. I, I mean, I do think that there's a lot of reasons to be very optimistic coming out of this series. I mean, A, right, you just, like, fend it off and, you know, like, parry a blow from your biggest competitor for the number one seed. So that in itself is, I think, a huge, huge win. And then if you look at it a little closer, the Orioles have an easier schedule. The Rays have to go to Toronto and Boston um, you know, we've got the Astros, but we also have the Guardians and the Nationals coming up. So uh, we definitely have an easier schedule the rest of the way through. And then I think that, you know, with this two game lead and like Tyler said, two game lead plus the tie break on top of that. I, I think there are a lot of reasons to feel very confident. You know, if both of us are playing at the level we have been, there's for all intents and purposes, the Orioles should claim the division and the number one seed. And even the Astros have been struggling. Uh, right. The Ast- the Astros are not, you know, I'm sure they'll get into the playoffs and run through the entire American League. Or American League but, um, yeah, they, they do not look like the Astros that have been private prior, previously. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, the format in the playoffs is newer. Like, there's definitely, like, I think, a, a strain of fan that thinks like, oh, we don't want the buy. You got to keep playing. You got to stay hot. You got you, know, yeah, right. you, you need the couple days off. And plus, plus beyond even the days off, it's the wild card round is kind. It's wild. Like anything could happen. Not necessarily the best team wins. Not necessarily the best team wins any series. But you know what I mean. The fewer games, the more random it can be. So no, right. we want we want the buy. Get us to the 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 division round automatically. Like that's what we want. Um, but yeah, I mean, great, great day. Uh, the whole team contributed today. Kramer was good enough. Cra- like what I will say is Brandon Hyde is like managing these games. Like they are playoff games. This whole series felt very playoff ish. Like Kramer could have gone a little bit longer. Like if it was June, he probably would have gone longer. He was only at 86 pitches. Um, but the, they got the early hook there. We lost the DH at one point in the game because we're making substitutions left and right. Like <laughs> Brandon Hyde is already managing like it's October, which is a lot of fun. So, yeah, I agree. 
Um, all right. Anything else to talk about with that? We 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 should say <clears throat> we know it's been a while since we did a pod. We are going to do another pod at the end of September as sort of like a postseason preview. Obviously, we'll know what our seed is likely by then. And then we're going to be more regular throughout the, the playoffs. But um, so there will be more postseason talk in the weeks to come. But anything more on on today's games that we should touch on before we get into our topic list here, guys? Right. DL Hall was great. Yeah, I mean, I just, DL, this, I just wanted to say that this has been kind of like the writing on the wall with DL Hall for a couple months now. I felt like it's like he's going to be a, a bullpen piece, an important bullpen piece. And we'll see what they do next year with him. But I think the role he's got right now is like perfect for him. Yeah, agreed. Um, all right, let's talk Gunnar Henderson because he's just been phenomenal. You know, it seems like forever ago we were talking in April with him scuffling like getting on base at a decent clip walking a lot but striking out a lot hitting below 200 those days are well and truly behind us uh he's on fire i think kevin brown mentions like every time he can that gunner henderson is going to win rookie of the year like he says it like every other sentence which is <laughs> is accurate he's going to win rookie of the year uh he might get mvp votes like we're at that point where he's not going to win mvp but he's arguably the best player on the al's best team like hey, how do you not get MVP votes He's in the top 10 in baseball references war in all yeah. of baseball. I mean, yeah, if he does not, something is wrong with the voting system. Yeah. So, and he's been uh, really tearing the cover off the ball lately. Uh, the last two weeks, his OPS is uh, over 1,000, 1.044. And in the last seven, his OPS is 1.154. And as Eli just said, his his B war is 6.0. And then Eli, do you want to uh, discuss this tweet you found? Yeah, Orioles fans say on Twitter slash X uh, put this up earlier, and he had found that since 1980, there had been seven position player Rookie of the Year winners that had 6.0 B-War or more. And that was Mike Piazza, Nomar Garcia-Para, Ichiro Suzuki, Albert Pujols, Mike Trout, Aaron Judge, and Julio Rodriguez last year. Hmm. And you just look at that list, and of the peop- you know of the four of those folks that have retired, you know, three of four are... are no doubt, undeniable Hall of Famers. Two of them are already in. Um, Nomar was a very good player, struggled with injuries. But then you get Mike Trout and Aaron Judge, who are, you know, as much as anyone in the game on the fast track to the Hall of Fame. And then you get Julio Rodriguez, who, you know, went on a tear last year, had a, you know, one rookie of the year, took it from Adley. And then this year again has been absolutely phenomenal. So it's just really, really good company. Um, and to see somebody in his first full season, you know, putting up numbers like 6.0 war, you know, that's very, very easily all-star level and surpassing it. And, you know, definitely, like we just said, should get some down-ballot MVP votes. Um, it, it's really astounding. And, like, you, you know, I think the offense has come alive in a way that um, I didn't even fully expect. I, you know, I thought that he would start to impact the ball more, but he's become just a little bit more of a free swinger. He started taking walks less um, and he's really turned into a pretty aggressive hitter. Um, so, it, you know, it's like a transition away. I, I didn't even fully see coming, but he is very, very much like the superstar that all of us hoped and prayed for. I, I think there's, yeah, nothing else to say about it. He's incredible. Yeah. He's amazing. Uh, Jesse, I think this is where we give you your flowers a little bit buddy because you talked about him being most valuable oriole back in march i guess yeah um so do you want i mean i think we've i feel like we've done this before a little bit i think we i feel like we talked about this in a 
whatever one of our last pods were, but do you want to take a victory lap a little bit or uh, <laughs> want to say anything? Um, I mean, I'll try to be humble here. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, honestly, I don't think I predicted anything that crazy at the time. Sure. Um, I, I think even, you know, we all knew how talented he was. Um, it's incredible. I mean, the one thing Eli didn't mention is, you know, he's doing all of this at his young age of 21, right? He's, 20, he's 22 tw- now, I think. 22. But... Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, which is incredibly young uh, to be um, putting up sort of the numbers he is. Uh, it's his first full year in the major leagues. Um, he had a month at the end last year. Um, so yeah, I mean, but we all knew how talented he was. Um, I mean, how, how great a hitter he is and yeah, he's showing it almost every day. Um, like you look at the box scores every, you know, every time the Orioles play a game and, you know, most of the time he, it feels like he has, you know, at least a hit, if not two, you know, um, so, um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, coming through the system, I mean, this is this is exactly the reason he was one of the guys the Orioles have accelerated through the minor league system as fast as they have. Um, you know, with a lot of the minor leaguers, it's it's a very slow process um, that, you know, the minor leaguers here with the Orioles need to do basically everything at the minor league levels to prove that they're ready. And he just advanced so quickly and now he's here and hopefully he's going to be a permanent fixture in the Orioles lineup for years to come. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's great. Yeah. And I think the thing that we don't talk about as much with him, his game, because he's such a force at the plate is he's like a really good base runner. He's fast, but he also like makes really good decisions. He goes first to third a lot. Um, You know, I think that's a lot of the team does that now, whereas you know, in the Buck Showalter, Dan Duquette era, it was a lot more sluggers, big bumbling types that, you know, they would drive in runs and we would, the Orioles would score a lot of runs, but it wasn't always like as interesting as the way the Orioles do it now. Um, Gunner doesn't steal a ton of bases, but he's fast. And then defensively, he's gotten a lot better this year. I think that looked a little bit off earlier in the year. I think he didn't look super comfortable at third, but he didn't quite have the range at shortstop. Now he's like still bouncing back and forth between the two positions often uh looks good at both of them uh and just all in all a really good player we'll see what the future holds there obviously i would love for them to open up extension talks with him tomorrow i don't know if that's going to happen with these orioles ownership is up in the air all that kinds of stuff but for right now yeah he's an incredible player and as he goes so do the orioles and uh now he's the leadoff hitter apparently like i don't know they're kind of messing around with where he's hitting in the order but Wherever he's at, it's uh, it's fun to watch. So yeah, you can't say enough good things about him. Well, he 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 was leading off, you know, months ago too for a little while. Sure. Um, and then he sort of sunk down to the two spot for a lot. But yeah, I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, it see, it seemed like you you were sort of suggesting the one spot was a recent thing, but he'd been there a while. Well, it is a recent thing. He was hitting in the middle of the order. Hitting Recently two, switched back. And now yeah. he's back at leadoff hitter. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, so to echo one thing, <laughs> Jesse's shaking his head. Like, <laughs> why did I say that? <laughs> uh, so, 
to echo the base running point, not to discount his fielding, um, but he is in on baseball savant in the 100th percentile. Do you guys hear that thunder? No, I didn't hear any thunder. Oh, wow. This is a huge clap. Anyway, 100th percentile um, for base running value added. Yeah. Just straight up, you know, like he, he, yeah, he has been making a difference in like every facet of the game. At, you know, yesterday he had these like picked up the two ground balls raging into the five and a half hole for Grayson, you know, made two throws on the run. Like I agree the defense has looked good. And yeah, I, I think it's phenomenal. He's been great. Absolutely. It's fun to know that we've got him at least for a couple more years. And that that's one thing I'll say about like like the 2014 Orioles who were were great. They won the division. They also had the injuries where Machado got hurt. Chris Davis had the PED stuff and we didn't get to, I think Weeders had gotten hurt, right? So yep. like we didn't get to see those the full strength Orioles. We've got some injury stuff we'll talk about here in a minute, but like in general, these Orioles have stayed very consistent for a lot of the right. season and that's like that's part of why they're they might not, maybe they win the division, maybe they don't, but they're going to be very close to hundred wins. And that's health has been part of that. And, and just like, I don't know if that's a youthful thing. And like, you know, Gunner is, is a young guy and it's, he can do kind of all these fun things that I think once you're 30 years old, you can't quite do anymore, but I just feel like that's, that's relevant to, to the play style, the success, all that stuff. Um, All right. Let's talk about the Orioles in the playoffs. We know they're in, we don't know when they're playing yet. Um, but when they do get there, they're going to need a pitching staff, obviously. And I think we we know around what it's going to look like. But I think something that's up in the air right now is who is going to take the ball in game one. Now, obviously, this conversation could change if the Orioles need to play down to the last game of the season, the regular season. And somebody has to go that day that you think would be a game one starter. That's going to change this uh, conversation a little bit. But what I think we're going to talk about here is if you had your pick who of the Orioles starters are going to take game one. And if the Orioles do get to skip that wild card round, they can line up their pitching staff in the way they, they desire it. So let's talk about game one that is to come. The Orioles have had a lot more success from their pitching rotation this year than I think we anticipated. And two names in particular have really popped up in the second half of the season, Grayson Rodriguez and Kyle Bradish. Uh, I'll go to you, Eli with, if you want to kind of break down where your head is at with, if you had to pick a pitcher to go game one, um, who would it be? Yeah. So I, you know, I think the very easy answer is Bradish and I think Bradish is the favorite in this question. Um, I think that, you know, I, I think it's a question in my mind and like I put it on here, just definitely partially based on recency bias from Grayson's dominant outing yesterday. Um, but definitely, you know, since he has come up, his stuff has just been on another level. Um, the changeup has looked really good. His command has been much better, particularly with the fastball. Um, you know, they said that last night he had the most horizontal movement on his fastball on average across any start all year. So, you know, it seems like he is rising to the big moment. And, you know, I think just it was such a dominant individual performance last night in ways that we had not seen from anybody on the pitching staff all year. Um, so I, you know, I, I think there is a valid question to be had, you know, if, you know, the Orioles were down pretty bad, we had just gotten blown out the night before Eflin had completely shut the, you know, shut the team down. We had not been able to hit, 
and you know ended up giving up eight runs so it seems like in a moment like that having somebody who can rise to that occasion um and you, you know like seeing that in Grayson is something super super special I think you know to not only shift the momentum of an individual game based on your performance but really you know him stepping out there and having that performance shifted that entire series for us and that's you know, I, I think that he individually is a large part of the reason that we are sitting here and started this podcast with our nice, happy stories. Well, Jesse wasn't so happy, but <laughs> <laughs> our nice, happy, energetic. <laughs> um, anyway, he was disappointed. Yeah. Jesse was disappointed that For we made the playoffs. Reason. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But I, I don't know. I looked at it in the last 28 days. Grayson has thrown 30 and a third. Bradish has thrown 31. Grayson's ERA is 208. Bradish 290. Grayson's whip 115. Bradish 0.9. Grayson has 31 strikeouts to Bradish's 36. And Grayson has walked seven. Bradish has walked five. So, you know, over the last month, they've been super, super comparable. Um, I think that you could, you know, obviously either one of them, I think, it's amazing to be in this position where we have been talking about how the Orioles have needed an ace for years and years and years. And, you know, Bradish has been competing for the ERA title with Garrett Cole throughout the year. And Grayson is starting to step into this world where he's had a sub three ever since he came back up, you know, over almost two months at this point. So it looks like we might have two of them, uh, <laughs> you know, by the time that we start next year in 2024 you know, two guys that can be relatively established, you know, Grayson doesn't have quite the track record, but I digress. Um, uh, yeah. So I think I still defer to Bradish, you know, he's got the larger body of work, but I just think Grayson is this unbelievable, like almost secret weapon to have that as a one, two punch. And, um, if you do find yourself in a situation where ALDS, you know, extends out and you are going to need, to cycle back through to the top of the rotation with Bradish Grayson starting game one of the ALCS, you know, if it works out like that, I, I think you really don't take a large step back. Yeah, no, I think that's that, that encapsulates my thoughts a lot. Jess, did you have anything to add to the conversation here? Right. So, I mean, I guess the only thing I would say to that is, I mean, you don't take a step back for that game, but you, I would say you would, you know, then you don't have Bradish pitching too. So in that situation, you know, well, but whatever. You, you, you would go at least four games though, and he would rotate back through. So you'd still get a start from him and he right. might line up against, you know, okay. you don't know who he'd line up against, but. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I think Bradish is the answer. I mean, you know, the thing, the thing about him is he's been pitching all year and he's been, he's had so few starts where he's just completely blown up and imploded. That would be really the only, uh, I guess, big distinction uh, between the two. Obviously, Grayson Rodriguez, since he's been back, has not really been a victim of that. Um, but prior, uh, he would have some, a couple horrend well, not a couple, he would have some horrendous starts here and there. Um, so I think uh, overall, if you look at Bradish's, you know, starts over the course of this season, there have been very few that have been really, really bad. And especially if you're looking at a game one start, you know, the worst thing 
that you could happen that could happen in the first inning is, you know, your starting pitcher gives up five runs and you, you know, or, and you have to think about going to the bullpen in the fourth inning. Right. right? And the pen is set back for the whole game. Yeah. Right. For the whole series. For the whole series. Right. So um, I think that is less likely to happen uh, with Braddish pitching than with Grayson. Um, And yeah, he's just been so composed and controlled and really dominant over the course of the year. I mean, his ERA is like right around three, you know, which is great for a starting pitcher, you know, especially in this this era of baseball. So um, I'm definitely giving it to Braddish, uh, you know, maybe next year uh, over the course of the year, uh, we can reevaluate this question for the, the playoffs next season. Maybe Grayson will overtake him and be the one. Uh, but for right now, it's definitely. Uh, I I think it's not really close. I think it is Braddish. So nobody's nobody's gonna say Kyle Kyle Gibson. Opening no. day starter. No. Okay. No. You know, but what's, <laughs> what's hilarious is at the beginning of the year, like we were making jokes, like if the Orioles make the playoffs, who's your game one starter? And we had yeah. been saying Gibson because we just didn't really have a concept of who would step up to take that mantle. Um, well, I think I think like that's like something I don't know if I'm I'm sure other people have said it before, but it's part of like learning how to be a fan of a winning team, too. I think that's something that me as an Orioles fan, I don't really know how to do because I'm just so used to them being bad. And for me, like the ace is just a guy that has like a four and a half ERA and can like get through five innings like you know what i mean like that's that's what our best pitcher does man you just accept the mediocrity of chris tillman (laughs) exactly exactly like i don't really know i mean obviously i know baseball and i know what an ace is supposed to be but what are the what are the what's the orioles ace supposed to look like like even in the playoff years of of showalter like you said it was tillman or like miguel gonzalez would be good or like we had Joe Saunders pitch the wild card game against you yeah. Darvish, and somehow it worked. Hey, out. that worked, <laughs> that was right? Amazing. I was gonna say, <laughs> like uh, that's how the Orioles pitch, you know, in my brain. But obviously, that's not how it's supposed to be. And yeah, I mean, we're super, we're super fortunate. Obviously, like this is kind of what Grayson was supposed to be the whole time coming up. I wouldn't say the whole time, but um, since Elias has taken over, essentially, whereas Bradish has kind of been like sort of this project that even when the Orioles got him, he was a relief prospect. Like there was, there was maybe back end rotation upside, but in general, he was a multi-inning relief pitcher. And now, even if Bradish never replicates this season again, last season plus this season is already like well beyond what his ceiling was supposed to be. Um, So it's just, it's just amazing. And you're right, Eli, we, we were totally off base on that pleasantly. So, but I, I will be the third to say that I would pick Bradish as well. He's been there all year. I think he's the most dependable in the playoffs. You do manage things a little bit differently. So if things do get dicey for him, I could see him just going five innings. If, if Hyde isn't loving what he's seeing from him or whatever. And that's, that's perfectly fine in the playoffs, but yeah, I, I like him for game one. I think he's a gamer. I think Grayson is too, obviously, but Bradish, I just, every time he goes out, I'm like, he's going to go six innings and allow two runs. Like that's just what Kyle Bradish does. Um, so yeah, I, I would be all for Kyle Bradish as well. I will just say, though, real quick, because there's been a lot of Bradish love in here. Grayson just has the stuff that, yeah. it, you know, like when you think about Nace, you think of Garrett Cole. 
you know, you throwing 98 to 100. You think of Corbin Burns, who's touching 98. You know, hasn't quite been that this year. But you think of Luis Castillo. You know, like, largely you have these absolute flamethrowers. You know, when Verlander was at his peak, you know, getting into the playoffs with the Astros, he was running up 96 to 98. And, you know, you get that from Grayson. And, you know, he steps out in the first inning and he touches 100 without failure. You know, just every single first inning, he throws 100 miles an hour. And so he just has, and he's also just taller than Bradish is. And I, I, I know that th- th- it's yeah, a really yeah. stupid nitpicky thing, but you know, like when you picture an ace and you talk about like having mound presence and stepping into the first game and telling the other team that this game is already over, mm-hmm. you know, it feels like Grayson has that kind of gravitas and presence in a way that Bradish doesn't. Um, which is it, you know, like stupid and not the way that you should pick your game one starter. <laughs> but I'm just giving him props for that. For um, being I, big, <laughs> being a tall person, and throwing hundred miles an hour and having ridiculous <laughs> yeah, yeah, stuff. Yeah. You know, Brad, it, it, Bradish doesn't throw a hundred, but he throws very hard, and he also, I mean, I mean, his I think stuff his average it, fastball is like ninety four. So his stuff is as good as Grayson's, if not even better. You know, yeah. in a lot Bradish, of Bradish's so. two breaking balls are you know, right. Like on par with you know Tyler Glasnow's as best combo of breaking pitches in all of baseball, no doubt about it. Yeah, no, it's it's a good problem to have. It's a problem the Orioles have not had. Uh, I don't know, like even maybe beyond the nineties. Like, I don't know, did the nineties have two ace type pitchers <laughs> that you think you could go to in game one? Like, no, it was Messina. Like, yeah, it's just Messina. It's just it's it's awesome. Well, yeah. w- with that said, I mean, here we go. Here we go folks. <laughs> Let me just say, I, I guess, are you satisfied with either of them really being the number one? I mean, yeah. like, ideally, I would be happy if they were like the two and the three and we had like a more uh, experienced sort of, you know, ace that that, you know, had the uh the the track record and the history and hopefully had some playoff experience and stuff like that like i mean this might work out and we might be fine and we could win the world series with this formula but it's not how i would have drawn it up and you know if at the deadline we could have gotten a real legitimate number one ace whoever that is obviously not kershaw now but a kershaw type pitcher or something well, Verla- verlander right. or verland right so, so verland you know i would have preferred to have gotten verlander and you know even though his playoff track record is iffy i would i would have him be our ace you know so I, or his world series you could argue is is iffy but yeah my response to that is i think that the way that the two of these guys are pitching right now you know theoretically an ace of a staff should be one of the best 30 pitchers in the game. And I think that the way that these guys are going right now, I think that both of them are. I I think Kyle Bradish, you know, at this point in time is a top 10 pitcher in baseball. The the way that he's throwing, I I think that's I don't think when when people say ace, I I agree with your definition, like it's top 30. I don't think that's how people think of an ace, though. Right. No, I I, I agree. I don't think it is. But Uh Jesse's saying, would you, you know, are you happy with them as one, two? And I think the answer is you have to be because like the top two in our rotation, if they are truly two of the top 30 starters in the game is disproportionately excellent. You, You know, I think that you, you, yeah, you absolutely have to be happy with that. And I don't know. It, 
the reason that a true ace is a true ace, you know, it's like Garrett Cole does not come around, is not available every year. You, you know, it's why the Yankees went and locked him up for $360 million or whatever it was, because it, or 320. It's just these types of people are not available like that. So, you know, you can talk about Verlander, but Angelos was never going to take on the $40 million contract. It just is what it is. So. Yeah, well, I don't, like, the Orioles are also, this is a whole process still. Like, I don't, like, if you if you had a, a truth serum and gave it to Mike Elias and you told him, like, is this is this the end goal, the 2023 Orioles? He'd be like, no. Like, this was a stepping right. stone to the next thing. And part of it might have been getting to the playoffs. And you then get the playoff experience that you're talking about, Jesse, that maybe you're not winning a world series, but you're pitching in a division round or a championship series round. And now next year you go, Oh, we got Grayson Rodriguez who in the second half last year had a 2.70 RA pitched in four playoff games. And now we're rolling baby. And we went and signed X, Y, Z in the off season or whatever. Um, so no, I mean, I think you're right, Jesse, like ideally you would have one other guy that, and and to say that Flaherty was the plan or Gibson was the plan to be that guy is is ludicrous. Obviously, like maybe Jack <laughs> Flaherty five years ago would have been that guy, but not in 2023. And Kyle Gibson, like as much as I like Kyle Gibson, and I think he is important to what this team has done this year, um, was never that type of a guy. So, yeah, I, right. I agree with you that ideally, yes, but this is what we got. And I think in this situation, I'm very happy with how both of them have pitched in the second half. and very excited to see either one of them take the ball in game one for sure um kind of yeah yeah i was just gonna say you know you joked about kyle gibson uh i and obviously i'm not advocating for this in any way but i would you know just if i could see if i could view what would happen in a parallel universe if we gave dean kramer the ball in game one and really tested my big game pitcher theory on him. I mean, we're going to be able to test it because he's going to pitch in the playoffs in all yeah. likelihood for us. Um, but uh, yeah, it'd be cool to see Dean Kramer take the ball in game one, too, even though I know strategically, it, you know, I uh, and grant it wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, well, wouldn't, yeah and, and... it wouldn't be a good choice for trying to win win the series, you know, and of all the pitchers like Kramer's definitely one where like, well, he gave up two home runs in the first inning and He's out after like two and a third, and now we're in a prop. We're in a pickle right now. He could do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Um, all right. Let's continue on the rotation talk here real quick. Um, because that's a good kind of segue there, Jess. So assuming that Grayson and Bradish are one, two, and we would assume Dean Kramer is the third pitcher. He's earned it. He's pitched solidly all season long. Then you get to game four, and in the playoffs, typically you only need four starters. Um a fifth starter could make the roster in some way, shape or form, but typically you're only going to start four different guys. The Orioles then are kind of in an interesting situation where their three most senior members of their starting staff are the ones kind of on the bubble for that final spot. And those three guys would be the aforementioned Kyle Gibson, whose ERA is 5.62 in the second half. He's allowed 11 home runs in his 11 starts in the second half. And he leads the league in hits allowed. Second would be Jack Flaherty, our prize trade deadline acquisition, who has a 7.11 ERA in black and orange. Not great. And then John Means, who is the former ace of this staff, but has not pitched in about two years due to Tommy John surgery. Just had his first start in the big leagues. Went okay. 
five innings, three runs, nothing to write home about. Um, so Eli, I'll go to you again. If you're picking a fourth starter for this rotation, uh, who are you going with? Yeah, I I would love to say means. I, I guess this question might be unfair to him to ask, you know, at this point in time before we've seen him take another turn through the rotation. But for me, it's Kyle Gibson. Uh, I, I think that Gibson personality-wise has very much been like heart and soul of this pitching staff all year. Um, I it, You read some stories earlier on that Gibson had um, kind of pushed – everybody dressing up in full uniform for when they go ahead and throw their bullpens and side sessions. Um, they all walk out and watch the starting pitchers bullpen together, you know, as he's warming up. I think that from a culture and vibes standpoint, I think that Gibson's been really good for this team. Um, and I think that he, I don't know. I, I, I feel like the team would play better with him on the bump in a super generic way. And I, I also think that, you know, Flaherty has been God awful. So I think he's just removed from the conversation. <laughs> um, and I, I just haven't seen enough from Means. So this is also partially, you know, largely based on performance. I'm just also giving Gibson credit for some other things that he brings. Um, yeah. But that said, Gibson has struggled in the second half. Like I, I don't think out of these three that we have a single good option. Um but at the same time, yeah, I don't think it's going to be Cole Irvin or anything like that. That doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, I mean, uh, and, and yeah, I, I do Go think it, in this conversation, like the final whatever, 14 games of the season are very relevant to the answer to this question, right, because right. one or two good starts could change things. But Jess, where's your head at? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, this is really the a problem for the Orioles being in this situation, but Right, sort of by default. I mean, I'm going to agree with Eli and pick Gibson. Uh, I, Flaherty has, I mean, you can say he has playoff experience, uh, but there's almost no justification for picking Flaherty with, you know, what he's shown the Orioles so far. Mm-hmm. Sure, um, you know, if he has the next two starts and he has eight innings and gives up no runs or something like that, you know, Maybe you try it one time in the playoffs and see what it's like and then, you know, uh, reroute if things don't work. But overall, yeah, I mean, I think Gibson is just the default. Um, You hope uh, that he's not going to give up the long ball, uh, um, you know, and you hope that uh, he doesn't just get shelled. Right. (laughs) Which is really the problem. And yeah, um, what you're worried. I I hope that every game. Right. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Uh, You want him to get through five or six and, you know, three runs and three or four runs and he keeps you in the game and that's about it. And then you in in the postseason, I'm not even thinking about six innings. Right. Yeah. Gibson. Yeah. I mean, order one time. Like right. Maybe two times. Well, yeah. I mean, the other alternative is he gets paired with someone like Ballman, um, and not hmm. you know, and Ballman comes in relief and tries to pitch a couple innings or something 
something like that afterwards. I was going to say, I mean, honestly, if, you know, theoretically we had enough time to stretch Ballman out, you know, I would give him a shot <laughs> in the playoffs <laughs> at this point, you know, but um, I, I, that's that's insane. No, I mean, I, I mean, I'm I'm joking, but uh, like, I mean, over uh, Flaherty, maybe, but not either of the other two. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Not over yeah. Gibson or means. Yeah, yeah but, but uh, yeah, yeah, but I, go ahead. E. Sorry, I was just going to say, I, I think it's valid to say that the Orioles could do something to the effect of, you know, piggybacking some of these guys. You know, I think that, I don't know. I, I do think it's an open question as to whether Flaherty makes the playoff roster. You know, he would need to step up in the next couple outings. Um, but, you know, assuming he is on the team, that might be one of the most efficient ways to use him. And you did see, like, his last start out <clears> – <throat> He went through three innings very, very cleanly, looked really good. We've had all these discussions about how he is more effective when the fastball has higher velo, when it is playing up, you know, when he's able to hit 96 in the first inning, you can expect a little bit better out of him for a stretch. So I I think that the idea of piggybacking some guys is that pretty valid and honestly might be the answer to this question. I I mean, I think, uh, you know, like I said before, I think these final two weeks are relevant here. John Means is the most attractive option to me here. Um, we've seen what he can be when he's going good. We've talked about it for on this podcast before when he was pitching really well. We knew, OK, John Means isn't really the ace of a pitching staff, but he is a very good like number three pitcher on a pretty good pitching staff. And if we see that John Means in the next week or two, I don't need, I don't see how you can even think like think anything well, else like he, he pitches game four Kyle Gibson goes in the bullpen he pitched in the Phillies bullpen in the playoffs last year and I think he is the person Kyle Gibson is the personality to say like whatever it takes to help the team like I'm I'm old I want to get my ring like let's do it and G- and that's what you do and Gibson comes in for him if he struggles sure. I mean that's, and it's a lefty righty combo right. that's a good thing too yeah yeah I mean if John Means pitches like really well the next couple of weeks, I, I I would then agree with you that it's not a question, you know, in John Means's favor. But I think that's a big if at this point. Sure. I mean, he he just got back, so right now, you know, it's it's Gibson for me. But yeah, I mean, if he demonstrates that he can go, you know, semi deep and and not give up runs and be effective, then yeah give it to him well yeah i mean like that's from your fourth starter i think you're you're just looking to get through the order two times like it doesn't even right. matter how many innings that is if that's four innings great like i think from any of these guys your fourth starter you're hoping that grayson and bradish get through six to seven hoping the bullpen's saved and you can easily go five innings in game four like the bullpen go five innings in game four so yeah no i mean these last these next two weeks are definitely relevant here um, cause yeah, if means looks terrible, you can't, you can't start him. Of course. I just think I'm projecting a little bit what I expect him to be. And obviously he wasn't fantastic in that first start. I think he got one strikeout, which is a little worrisome, but not Gibson's not exactly a, he doesn't rack up the K's either. Although he'll, he'll occasionally have like an eight strikeout game. I don't know where it's like, what the hell was that? <laughs> out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> just w- one out of every four starts, Kyle Gibson sweeper is the nastiest pitch on yeah. earth just for absolutely no reason. Exactly. Exactly. And hopefully yeah. that's that's the day he pitches in the playoffs. Because, yeah, I mean, I think Gibson and Means are definitely on the playoff roster. Flaherty, I am with you guys. I I don't see how he's making the playoff roster. 
I don't see that at all. Um, all right. We'll, see. We'll, we'll definitely revisit that topic in a couple weeks here when the playoffs are closer. Uh, keeping on the pitching staff for another second here. Felix Bautista, obviously we know a few weeks ago, suffered a UCL injury. Has gone on the IL, but not the 60-day IL. He's gone on the 15-day which has always been, it's been kind of one of those things like, oh, what are the Orioles doing? Like, what's going on there? It sounds like they're going to try to see if he can come back for the playoffs through a bullpen today uh, on the 17th as we're recording. Was using his breaking ball, was using his splitter. Um, Jess, what do you think about this? We talked about it a little before the pod. It sounded like you had some trepidations about using a pitcher that we know is hurt. We know he's injured. We don't necessarily know the severity of it. But what is your thought about this whole process the Orioles seem to be exploring right now? Yeah, I mean, I don't. So, of course, they're trying to get him to come back, right? Like, that's clear. The fact that he's throwing right now means they are trying to see if it's possible for him to pitch. Um, I, from just like a, you know, sort of his rights sort of perspective, right? I, I, I. I don't want him to have to be pitching in pain, right? Even if it does like cause, you know, up the Orioles chances slightly of, you know, winning in the postseason or whatever. Um, I just think it's like not fair to make somebody pitch and perform and play, you know, while they're, while they're suffering. Right. So obviously uh, Felix Bautista, um, is going to have a big say in all of this, I would think and hope. Um, and I hope he's not going to be pressured into anything or whatever. And it'll, you know, I'm sure we all know Felix Bautista wants to be there if he can be there. I mean, no pit, no baseball player is going to be like, oh, you know, I just want to chill and sit the playoffs out. Right. All these guys play and work as hard as they can. And, you know, pl- you know, they build their entire lives up for this moment of being able to pitch in the playoffs. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there's not going to be anything about Felix Bautista trying to, you know, somehow use this to his advantage or, you know, just chill. It's not about that. Right. So, um, but yeah, I, I don't, I, I obviously, you know, I don't want any player to be playing while they're suffering, so I hope he's not, and I especially don't want him to be playing if there's any risk of any long-term injury, right? So, um, which, you know, it seems like there's not, right? But mm-hmm. um, so, uh, you know, Felix Bautista, once he gets healthy, can be a productive part of this team. And uh, for the Orioles, uh, you know, when he gets healthy, I don't believe in like rushing them back. Even when like uh, who was it? The Brewers or whatever teams, the Yankees used to do this with CC Sabathia where they would like bring them back on three days rest and stuff like that. Like I was never a fan of that kind of stuff, you know, Yeah, well, CC um, did that I, with the Brewers that one uh, postseason yeah. where he pitched like every other day. I was like, what the hell? Is right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So, And I I didn't like that, you know, and uh, obviously there wasn't like the immediate, I guess, sort of health risk or health concern associated with that. But, you know, pitchers, they need their bodies to recover. It's really difficult to pitch and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah. So, I, you know, I guess my basic point is, uh, you know, if he really isn't risking anything, 
and he's not in pain and he wants to pitch, then, you know, by all means, we'd love to have him, of course, <laughs> uh, in the ninth inning coming out of the pen for us. I mean, yeah. he really is a big piece of this team, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, not going, not having Felix Bautista in the bullpen is severely going to hurt our chances in the playoffs. Like, there is zero doubt about that. But I also, for like his own personal well being, I don't want him to be endangering himself so that's that's my philosophy on it i guess yeah and that and you would hope they're having those conversations with him to say like felix you gotta you gotta i mean and he you know if you go back to when he hurt himself he clearly knew immediately something was wrong he didn't even take warm-up throws nothing like it was like all right the trainer comes talk to me and we're walking off like he knew immediately hopefully he's having those conversations to say whether to to back off or not um because yeah it obviously they're trying to bring him back it does seem like if it's bad enough that he could miss all next year, then he probably shouldn't be pitching right now. So you'd imagine that it's not that bad, but uh, we're not doctors, so we can't really speak on that. But Eli, happy to get your take on this situation. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing to me, um, you, you know, there are injuries to UCLs like I have a knot in my UCL right now from when I pitched, you know, it is still there and I think Gross. it might be scarred. Yeah, I know it's crazy. <laughs> uh, but honestly, you know, it might be scar tissue from a partial tear that I had back in the day. Th- there are all sorts of possibilities, I guess, that, you know, this could be something that a pitcher normally would have pitched through. It is a severely minor thing at severely minor. That's a weird. It is a very minor thing. Um, and, you know, he felt something and that, you know, drew his attention to it and it spooked him a little bit and they went and did some imaging and they found this and it hadn't been there before. And, you know, it could be something that there was an initial like fear, but it is a relatively minor thing and maybe doable. And then you can kind of look at that and say, well, you know, if it is on the, like on the minor side, as far as these go, because there's, you know, it's clearly not like completely torn off of his elbow. So if he does truly need surgery, right, whether he got it last month or whether he gets it, you know, in November or whatever, he's going to miss all of next season anyways. So I, I think there's an argument to be made from that sense that, you know, you can see if it is manageable and you can see how it does react to loading it up again. You know, it it, it could be that he you know, had this initial tear in that moment, had this initial injury to the thing. And, you know, it is capable of handling some strain. And so they can take the time to figure that out. And of course, what Jesse said is all true of like protecting the player and protecting, you know, his like bodily autonomy. I fully, fully agree with all of that. But if he agrees to it, you know, you can see what the thing can do. And the, Worst case scenario is you are in the same position that we all thought we were a month ago. He needs to get surgery and he misses next year and is good for spring training in 25. So I think it makes sense to kind of, you know, assuming that the doctors who are looking at this say that it's a viable option, you can see how it reacts to throwing these bullpens, throwing these side sessions, whatever. Assuming that that's viable in the eyes of the doctors and Felix is okay with it, I think it makes sense to have this little exploratory period almost and see what the heck happens um obviously like you guys said he would be a huge huge benefit to the orioles we would love to have him 
Um, but yeah, it, you know, I, it also feels very much like it's playing with fire with, you know, somebody who you could argue is the most valuable bullpen piece in all of baseball right now, not only from his individual performance, but the fact that, you know, we've got him for four more years after this as well. So it's a, yeah, that, I don't know. I, you, well, you know, I trust that they're not going to play around too much. Well, yeah, I think that is relevant though, because like it, uh, you know, it's unfortunately these teams have to look out for themselves a lot too. And yeah, Batista is not about to be a free agent. You know what I mean? He's, he's going to be an Oriole for the foreseeable future. The Orioles want to take care of him as, you know, he's a person, but they view him as an asset, I'm sure as well. So they're going to do what makes sense there too. So that's kind of back to what I was saying before is if this injury they think is serious enough that he could miss all of 2024 already. To me, I mean, obviously anybody can get hurt any moment and miss an entire year, but to me, that's like too much of a risk. Like, because I can't think that if it, if he goes and pitches, he's going to make it worse and the recovery is going to be worse. And we've seen means it took him 18 months to get back. Like I would, I'm, I'm totally like speaking out of my behind here, but I would imagine a smaller tear takes less of a recovery than a bigger tear, but I, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm just kind of guessing there. I, I can actually speak to that a little bit. Yes, so they actually go in and pretty much replace the whole thing with okay. a ligament from another part of your body, a lot of times your leg. So largely the recovery time, if you are getting a full Tommy John surgery, would be the same regardless of okay. the state of the thing going into it. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. So, I mean, there, there could be some of that at play. Um, what I'm hoping there is they've done some imaging to say like, yeah, this is there, but this isn't what we would consider to be serious enough for that type of a thing. And we've seen uh, pitchers continue to play with it. Um, I think that the name that's gotten thrown around a lot is Masahiro Tanaka had a UCL issue at the very beginning of his major league career. I think pitched like the entire time with it, maybe had some time on the IL here and there um, is now back in Japan. I think pitching still hasn't had surgery on it. Uh and has been fine obviously a starter and a reliever are different there's velocity differences but there's also workload differences um but i know tanaka's had ucl issues and obviously was a really good pitcher for a long time with them um so it could be something like that where they're seeing similarities in the pitchers and he can continue to work with it obviously if he goes back in the bullpen that increases our chances a lot because as good as yenier cano has been this season I get freaked out every time he's on the mound that he's going to blow the game. Like, that's just my feeling when he's on the mound. Whereas Batista, I'm like, we got this, like pack it up. We can go home. So uh, yeah, I would, I would love for him to be back. um, If it's safe for him to return, of course. I will give a lot of credit to our bullpen thus far though. I think we have like absorbed the blow incredibly well. I think Fujinami has been pitching well. I think that, Jacob Webb's been thrown well. Cano has done well. I think it's really been impressive the way that we have kind of collectively slotted into new roles and continued to keep the train moving. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a deep bullpen, uh, the Orioles have figured. And that's without Dylan Tate, without Michael Givens working out this year. Like, it has been impressive for sure. Um, All right, let's run through some prospect updates real quick. Uh, The one was that Peston Kerstad obviously was promoted uh, this last week and then hit his first home run against the Rays. Um, Kerstad's promotion to me is kind of an interesting one because he wasn't on the 40 man by the start of September. 
and therefore he's not eligible for the postseason roster. At least my understanding of the rules, he's not eligible for the postseason roster. So it's interesting that he gets the call up right now. Um, Jess, do you have any thoughts about Kerstad as far as maybe what you want to see in these final two weeks? Are you excited about his promotion and his outlook as an Oriole? Anything you want to touch on about Heston Kerstad uh, and his first taste of the big leagues? Uh, no, I mean, he's looked, I mean, the home run, it was obviously really no. exciting, uh, you know, especially as his first hit. Um, that was like a really, you know, special moment for him, despite the the context of us getting blown out by the Rays at the moment. Sure. Um, but still, uh, no, it was good. I mean, the power, the raw power is just so impressive, of course, like even him in batting practice and, you know, uh, like we always knew that was like you know one of his biggest upsides uh was just the raw power that he has um so yeah i mean overall i i think he's probably going to be used uh in a limited fashion uh the last couple weeks of the season especially like with us trying to get ready for the playoffs um i think uh you know i think we sort of need to start molding how we're playing to fit how we're going to be playing in the playoffs a little bit. Um, but overall, uh, no, I mean, there's nothing I'm really like hoping to see over these next couple weeks. Uh, obviously I don't want them to play terribly. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I can't say like for two weeks, I have like these expectations of what I would like to see. Like I would like at the beginning of a season, for instance. So, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. It's it was a interesting thing to do. I think it seems to be related to Mountcastle having some injury stuff. That I don't know. It's weird what they're doing there, where he is swinging the bat and they're saying it's not going well, but he's not a candidate for the IL. That doesn't make a lot of sense for me. But clearly wanted some more power um, on the bench there. So, curse adds up. I, I will say about him real quick. Very cool. I mean, his whole thing about getting drafted, then getting the myocarditis, not playing professional baseball for like two years. And then really just like romping through the minor leagues in a pretty quick succession. Very impressive. Um, obviously he'll be in spring training with the team next year, unless he's traded, which is obviously a possibility, but he'll be in contention for an opening day spot next year. So that'll be something to watch um, come February. Uh, Jordan Westberg. This has been kind of a thing a lot on, I feel like Twitter slash X lately with Orioles fans is that he's not getting into the starting lineup a whole bunch, really just playing against left-handed pitching, uh, coming in for pinch hit uh, appearances a lot late in games. Uh, Brandon Hyde seems to prefer Adam Frazier right now, and that was only reinforced today with his clutch double to tie the game in late uh, in, in the ninth inning, I believe. But Jess, do you have any thoughts about Jordan Westberg? not playing a bunch would you like to see him more uh i don't know any any thoughts on jordan westberg here yeah i would I, I would like to see him play more um i think he got off to, obviously he got off to a really good start at the beginning of the season when he first came up um he's had some slumps here and there but overall uh i think he's i've been like very impressed with him and yeah i i would like to I would take the gamble of, you know, for the most part, playing him in the playoffs over uh, Adam Frazier. I would like to see that play out. Um, I don't think, uh, 
yeah, I don't think uh, obviously Frazier really struggles offensively. Um, fortunately for him, you know, he struggles offensively at, you know, one of the positions you're most able to struggle offensively at yeah. at second base. Um, but overall, yeah, I'd like to I'd like to give Westberg more opportunity. And I think especially down the stretch of this season, um, you know, and even the last few weeks that he's been up, I think we really had an opportunity to uh, test him even more than we have and seeing whether we can establish him just straight as a better option than Adam Frazier. And they've sort of not been willing to sort of test the waters with that to the fullest extent possible. And, um, but I think in my assessment, um, just from what I think would happen, I think if you just gave them the starting second base position, um, I think overall you could just say, yeah, he's a better player than Frazier. Um, Mm -hmm. and he should have the spot basically every day. Yeah. Yeah. Eli, do you have any thoughts there on the Frazier Westberg situation? Yeah. I, I mean, I will say that Westberg definitely does have some platoon splits OPS against righties at 710 against lefties at 805. So, you know, he's only minorly worse than league average against righties and significantly better than league average against lefties. Um, so, you know, I understand wanting to have him in there against lefties. That said, you know, I think he brings. I don't think he brings significantly more defensive value than Frazier does. He is faster than Frazier. And I think he contributes in a lot of other ways that Frazier doesn't. Um, So I, you know, I think there's an argument that you should take the hit against righties, even if, um, and you know, it's not even that much of a hit because Frazier as a whole is a worse than league average hitter. Right. That's, that's what I I didn't understand of what you were saying. I mean, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm because seven ten, seven ten is way better than Frazier. Uh, I'll check what Frazier does against righties. Frazier's got an OPS of seven eleven overall, so I would hope if they're platooning him, he's doing better than that against right. righties. His yeah, his so... OPS is seven eleven. Yes, this year, mm, Frazier, Frazier's surprised. having for Frazier. This has been a pretty solid year. Oh, like. I th- He's got shown good power this year. Like Frazier is, he's like an above average player in general. His OPS is nine OPS plus is 97. Like he's basically a league average hitter at second base. His defense has been worse than I think we anticipated. Yeah. Um, and as Westbrook is, is above average fast, like Westbrook can run a little bit. It's deceptive. Right. I don't, he doesn't like look the smoothest when he's moving around, <laughs> but he gets down the line, you know, and Frazier doesn't. So yeah, no, yeah. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. Frazier's OPS against righties is 728. So it's definitely better, you know, and the platoon split makes sense from that standpoint. But that said, um, yeah, I, I've been super encouraged by what Westberg has been doing. And I do think that defensively, uh, we we are better aligned with him at second, with ODS at third. I, I think that's worked out pretty well. Um so, you know, I, I don't think that I have as many problems with his usage as the majority of X Twitter does. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I understand the gripe and I understand that, like, you know, you're investing time in Adam Frazier, who is on a one year deal and will be gone in a couple months. And, you know, you are 
you, you know, at, at the disadvantage of a guy who hopefully will be a stalwart in your lineup for years to come. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and I, then, yeah, go ahead, Jess. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, uh, so, yeah, I mean, that I'm not even as worried about because I, I think it's like playoff time and I think you got to play whoever you think is, you know, the best option, right? So even if Frazier is, but I, I guess my point is, um, you know, if Westberg had like more consistency and like had been playing like more frequently, I mean, potentially his numbers could have even been better. I I am surprised. I was thinking Frazier was like in the high 600s for OPS. So I, I was surprised that it was as high as it was. Um, but yeah, so, but yeah, overall, I just like Westberg is the option. So like almost every day. Yeah. I, I will add, I, I just read an article and I do think, yeah, Elias was in it. It was Elias and Ben Sherrington being quoted and they were talking about why, um, I think it was Jonathan Mayo talking about why so many prospects were being promoted, et cetera, et cetera. And what factors were leading to that. And Elias had been talking about, uh, for us, it's actually been sort of advantageous that we've been as good as we are and we have an established core position players, even without these, you know, even without the Cowsers, the Kerstads, the Westbergs, uh, because he's been able to bring these guys up and not immediately put them into the pressure of a starting role on a team. Um, and so it, it seems like they are protecting these prospects almost like as a means of softening the jump from AAA to the majors. Um, I think that a lot, I, I mean, pretty much every reputable outlet has been talking about how the gap between AAA and the major leagues has been expanding over the last couple of years um, and how that jump is becoming increasingly more difficult for players. So, it, you know, it, it could just be a means of, if you tell Westberg he does not need to play every day, you tell him he only needs to play in situations that advantage him, you know, that's an easier situation to jump into as he's also trying to figure out, you know, how a major leaguer operates. So, uh, you know, from that sense, I think that him uh, and, you know, the sparing use of Kerstad as well do kind of make sense um, if you are coming at it from that angle. Yeah, no, that that's, that's totally fair. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I just know Westbrook has like a whole fan club. I feel like on on Twitter and <laughs> in Orioles fandom that like wants him in every single game, and I get it, I get it. I just think like Frazier was brought in for a reason, and I think he's like the one, because it was him and and uh, Gibson, and then you got a you had Givens in the bullpen. What uh, Frazier's like the one veteran that's kind of lived up to like being, and you can make an argument, but being worthy of like kind of maintaining that role of like everyday player like getting in the lineup every day like he in general has kind of carried his his weight a little bit and i think that they're not going to change that up now that you know the team's won 90 some games with him i think they're gonna continue to do the same thing uh in october and maybe that's a detriment maybe it's not but i think that's what they're gonna do well this was a lot of our objections when we signed him right was exactly what you're saying is that you know, you're like, well, we brought him in for a reason, you know, but a lot of us were objecting to him even being brought in in the first place. And obviously he's done well, you know, in certain capacities and, you know, yeah. like he's had a, a role on this team for sure. But yeah. 
All right, final bullet here is just mentioning Colton Kowser. Uh, he got demoted, you know, obviously weeks ago. He did come back up for, I think, a day and then got sent right back down without playing in a game. Has continued to hit really well in AAA Norfolk. I think, you know, for me, it's definitely setting up that he'll be in play uh, for an opening day role with this team next year. I, I think the Orioles outfield could undergo some changes this offseason. Um, obviously, uh, it's it's kind of sad in a way that like the outfield is kind of the old guard of guys that were here pre-rebuild. They saw all the all the rebuild. I think there was a tweet today about Mullen, Santander, and Hayes like getting together and like saying we made it or something. I, I saw that, yeah, through the rebuild, which is very <laughs> very cool. Like I love that. Um, but they're also three of the older, more experienced players. Consequently, three of the more expensive players as they go through arbitration. There could be some movement there that'll open up playing time for Kowser. Um, uh, Eli, any thoughts on Kowser being demoted there? I think it, it's to me, it's kind of put the nail in the coffin for him as far as making that postseason roster. Um, but w- what do you think? Yeah, I fully agree. And I, I, I agree with the move. I think that, yeah. you, you know, Kowser, he looked a little bit overmatched. You know, he still seemed to be drawing some walks. You know, he showed some good things. His defense looked fine. But, you know, largely, like Jesse has mentioned, like we've been talking about this whole time, you know, we're in a playoff chase here. Um, and he was definitely struggling to impact the ball in any kind of significant way. So I, I think that, you know, he is an elite prospect. I don't think this, like, diminishes my outlook on him in any way, shape, or form. Um, so, you know, you get him back down there. He builds up confidence a little bit. Um, with the tides, he – you know, he's been putting balls off the scoreboard in Harbor Park. So I, I think it's probably good for him and obviously better for the team. You know, I think that we have the offensive production without him. I think that we have all of our outfield spots covered. Hicks has come back and been playing really well recently. Yeah. Uh, hitting really well recently. <laughs> I'll make that distinction. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think it was the right move. I I, I I'm excited to see what Kowser brings next year. You know, clearly the dude's got an incredible amount of talent. Um, and yeah, let, let him, let him build that confidence. Let him understand that he's still a super talented baseball player the same way that we understand it. And we'll see what he brings, what he brings in spring training. Yeah. Jess, anything to add? I mean, I guess the only thing I would say is that, not that baseball is about being fair, right? But he basically struggled for the amount of time that Henderson struggled at the beginning of the year, right? And uh, I mean, I he would struggled say... In, he struggled in different ways, though. Yeah, and, and he was striking out a lot more, and he yeah. was, I mean, not drawing walks. and I mean, he was he was really bad at the major league level. There's no doubt about it. Um but it was a very short period of time uh, is is really my point. And uh, well, yeah, I, the, the team's in a totally different situation with them. Like, I mean, a we saw Gunner hit last year and B, you know, we don't have another shortstop that can just plug in. If Gunner, no, you know. I, I, I know. And yeah, I, all I'm trying to do is sort of contextualize his struggles right okay, on the okay, major okay. league team. Right. You know, like I'm not saying, well, why did we do this? Why did we treat Gunner this way? And <laughs> okay. I, I'm not making that, that argument. That, that's you where know. I thought you were coming from, because you no. had said not that baseball is about being fair, but he was yeah. treated unfairly. That's what I thought you were no, saying. No, it, it it's unfortunate for him 
that he was pulled up at the middle of the year, that he wasn't pulled up at the beginning of the year, that he struggled at the wrong time, like right before the playoffs are about to start. I mean, it, it's it's not unfair. It just sucks for him, sort of, uh, that, you know, he didn't have a, a real chance to iron things out at the major league level or much of a chance to iron things out at the major league level and actually contribute to the team. So, um, yeah, I'm not objecting to how the Orioles handled yeah, him. I'm not, you, I yeah, I'm, I, well, I'm just clarifying for everybody. I'm not objecting to how the Orioles handled him or am advocating that he was caught up at the beginning of the year or anything like that. It's just sort of an inconvenient way of how things had to happen, you know. Mm-hmm. So but yeah, obviously, I, like Eli was saying, I don't think anybody needs to be alarmed. Um, the long term outlook for him is not uh really is not at all diminished by his struggles at the major league level and yeah he'll uh hopefully uh contribute next year for the Orioles so. yeah absolutely it's exciting to be able to talk to pros- talk about prospects in that way like let's see him next year and let's talk about the playoffs in a couple weeks here and not have <laughs> to necessarily blend the two which is uh which is refreshing Right. Yeah. I, I would not want him on this playoff no. roster. You know, no, no, no. Of course. Yeah. No, we've got, I mean, Ryan, he, we've got Ryan McKenna for all that. Uh, yeah, of course. He, <laughs> I mean, he looked really bad. So there's no getting yeah. around that, you yeah. know, horrendous. And he yeah. was striking out and, yeah, couldn't catch up to the fastball. And, you know, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um. All right. Well, that's all the topics we've got. So before we get out of here, I just want to remind you all to subscribe to the podcast on Twi- uh, sorry, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also go to our Substack, thewarehousepod.substack.com. You can subscribe to us via email that way, and the podcast will get sent to your inbox. That's totally free as well. Also, subscribe to us on Twitter or X at the Warehouse Pod. Uh, Eli t- handles that most of the time tweeting out and interacting with everybody. Uh, I think we're up to like 630 followers, which is really good over there for us. So get involved. You in look that. at that more than I do. At what? Twitter? The follower count. I don't oh, even know I just, our follower <laughs> Oh, I just, I po- I saw it today. I don't even, I could be wrong about that. It's 600 and something. Anyway, it's a good number. We're, we're getting up yeah. there this year. We're having fun. So uh, check that out. And then you can also email the show, thewarehousepod at gmail.com. Uh, and we'll sift through the spam we get and try to find uh, your email so we that. <laughs> we're having fun the o's are having fun baltimore's having fun yeah sure. the rave the ravens won today just huge huge day in, in the charm city um all right guys that's all we got uh we'll, we will be back in about two weeks for a pre postseason pod triple p and uh <laughs> we'll talk to you then uh until next time this has been the warehouse podcast i'm tyler I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. Thanks for listening.